Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw and reputable, where we smash taboos and break down stigmas. I'm your host, Isabella Gosling, and today's episode is with Araha Lipa. Araha is an endo, adeno and PCOS sufferer and has had quite the tumultuous journey to diagnosis. She is passionate about making a difference in the lives of others and is actively committed to advocate for them. Later this year, she will be embarking on a three-day trek in WA to raise money for much-needed endometriosis research. In this episode, we chat on Aroha's endo story and how she finally got diagnosed with endo, adeno and PCOS, why she feels there is still such a delay to diagnosis even in 2022, challenges and considerations Araha has had to make to accommodate her illnesses, what her chronic illnesses have given her, trying to shine a little positivity in this light, all about the trek she is doing later this year to raise money for endo research, plus so much more. Now, here's Araha. Araha, welcome to Let's Talk Period. I am just thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Iz. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, and like we've known each other for a bit now, so it's nice <laughs> to have you on. And it's always lovely when I get to like interview my friends and people I know in real life. So it's extra special today. Oh, thanks. <laughs> now, I know you listen to the pod because you always tag me in your stories, <laughs> which I absolutely love. So this first question will be no surprise to you. But can you share with the listeners how you've nourished your body today? I'm really glad that I'm doing this today because I feel like a bit of a superwoman this morning. <laughs> I got I up. Love that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really good start today. I got up, went to my boxing class, went and did my kind of regular blood tests and whatnot, just checking your zinc and iron and all of that. Um, took the dog for a nice walk and then had a nice nourishing breakfast and am now soaking up the air conditioning. <laughs> So needed because it is just so hot at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. you've got to take that nice, cool temp. <laughs> yes, definitely. Let the body recover. <laughs> For sure. Uh, our next question, which you also would know, is all about managing our health and whether we're living with a chronic health condition or not. There's lots of therapies, people, items, strategies that help us to manage our health. I would love to know if there was something that you would recommend to the listeners when it comes to their sort of health toolkit that you would recommend to them. There are so many things, like <laughs> so, so many things. Uh, but the one that I found really game-changing in the last little bit is seeing an integrative GP. Um, so she's looked at all of my hormone levels, all of my mineral levels, and just in so more in depth of a way than what I've done previously and put me on a heap of supplements, which obviously cost a fortune. But in saying that, my symptoms and my lifestyle have just been a lot easier to manage since I've done all that. So yeah, it's it's been a huge change that I've noticed in the last few months since doing those tests and following her recommendations. That is so amazing. And I think it would be great if more GPs could sort of follow that suit because it's very like a quick clinical appointment generally and that integrative process is so much more holistic and 
it's sort of that East meets West medicine almost and very person-centered, which is just so good. Yeah, definitely. And like, I still have my regular GP who I adore, but uh, yeah, this lady has been really useful at getting to the bottom of hormonal imbalances that may not necessarily pique anyone's interest at a regular GP, but on that more minute level, it's just enough for it to be causing chaos. (laughs) Oh, exactly. And things can be within normal level, but is it low normal is it high normal and what are the parameters for you so so true and looking at those blood tests to like look and get that data and then you know it might not ring any alarm bells because it's within normal range but still working out is that the dose like you know have you got enough iron for example and then going from there and looking into it further so I love that recommendation (laughs) thanks (laughs) now you have had quite the tumultuous journey to get diagnosed with endo and adeno and PCOS and it ended up taking 14 years for you to receive your endo diagnosis which is longer than the average because we know the average is between 7 to 12 years and experiencing symptoms for that long is just horrific. Can you sort of share your experiences growing up and around periods and any symptoms you had and sort of when you realized what you were living with regularly just wasn't normal? Um, I pretty much realized straight away when I first got my period that something wasn't right. I was about 13 and they just went forever. So I used to keep a diary of them and a calendar of them. And my initial periods could sometimes last anywhere up to 30, 40 days of bleeding or spotting. And then I'd get maybe a week reprieve. Um, So I recently wrote for your journal and um, I think I noted in there the experience that always stuck out to me was being really excited that I'd had 16 days without a period. And yeah, funnily enough, I got it the next day. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that one went for probably it was over 40 something days and I ended up I was going to boarding school in rural Queensland back then and I fell down the stairs at school because I was just so just exhausted and um, obviously iron deficient at the time as well and I started going to a GP there and unfortunately um, that GP wasn't quite um up to speed on endo Um, and obviously also at that age it wasn't even really something that was brought up it was just oh you're 13 that'll sort itself out it's just like teething problems you'll be okay so I got put on um, I always say this wrong cyclopron cyclopron I always forget how (laughs) to say it yeah the names of everything is always so (sighs) confusing (laughs) yeah it just makes me think of a cyclops but (laughs) um, it's like a blood thinner type thing to make um, periods less heavy and make them shorter and funnily enough I'm on it now again tranexamic acid Um, but that was given to me as the sole help which didn't do much back then. Um, I was put on multiple different pills from a very early age with, um, again, that that just caused massive stigma because you'd go to school as a 13, 14-year-old girl and the boys are like, oh, are you like sexually active? Obviously, they didn't say it quite that sophisticated. No. <laughs> and um, you'd be like, no, no, like I'm on this for my health. And so you'd get teased for trying to talk about it or ask 
So even though I didn't get to talk to many people about what was going on, you definitely knew something wasn't right. Um, I kind of managed symptoms well enough with the pill and just sucked up everything else um, for years, joined the military when I was 17. Um, and that's when it really started causing issues because obviously you can't not go to PT because you have a period. Like I tried and yeah, it didn't go down very well. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I started um, with more kind of uh, symptom checking then. That's when they finally started being like, okay, this has been going on for five years now. Let's start having a look. So I had my first laparoscopy when I was 17 or 18 and uh, they said there was nothing evident. Um, I tried Depo-Provera and the Marina at that point in time. No one had warned me that the Marina probably wasn't the best at, at that age because my body just did not agree. Um, and I was told I didn't have any signs of endometriosis and it was all in my head and I, I'll be fine. And my favourite was sitting in the doctor's office in my uniform for the army and they go, you should probably think about having children now. And I was like, one, I'm 17. Two, do you not see the uniform? <laughs> like, no. That's, that's just not an option for me. Thanks. No, it's not going to happen. And you also just told me nothing's wrong. So why would I need to do that? Mm. <laughs> um, so that kind of went on for a while. Again, on and off different types of pill, depot, everything else, trying to manage it, kept on top of it for a couple of years left the military and moved overseas traveling and things. And it just got worse and worse. And I tried to get into appointments in the UK, um, but obviously being free universal healthcare, it takes a really long time. And so I ended up having to give up and come home because every time I had sex, it was just blood everywhere. Um, I took to only having black sheets because there was nothing I could do aside from that. Um, black towels, black everything basically, which I still have for those moments, but at least it's not all the time now. And it's just those little things that you notice, like everyone has nice girly underwear, but those no, adjustments not me. you have to make. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, you can't have the pretty things. You have to wear black granny undies forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I, yeah, so I came home and started kind of looking into things again, um, had a let's procedure in the end this time because I had uh, found that I had sin three cells on my cervix. So I had that all sorted and I also had what's called um, ectropion, which is like the cells that are usually beyond your cervix can sometimes grow outside of your cervix and in your actual vaginal cavity and that causes a lot of bleeding so even in my pap smear like just with the cotton swab would cause a lot of bleeding so they um burnt that all off and sorted that all out then um and I was kind of okay again for a little while I even had no contraceptive for a while because um, my doctor wanted to see how my body coped since I'd been on the pill and stuff since I was 13. And that was, I think it popped up in my Facebook memories. It was about <laughs> eight years ago today. So I was 21. Um, kept going pretty well for a while. And then a couple of years ago when I was about 25, 26, 26, I, um, yeah, I came home, spent a weekend with a new partner and I remember we were having sex in the shower and I just was in agonizing pain when he left the room and 
I had only known, like we'd only been seeing each other a few months. So I didn't want to like him to see me like that. And we were at his parents' house. So I kind of hid in the bathroom for a good hour, um, just laying in the hot shower. Um, he was a power lifter and we were meant to be powerlifting together the next day. So we went to do that and uh, I couldn't lift and I got really frustrated um, and I'm stubborn and you'll probably find this with a lot of people with chronic illness. It's very stubborn because we're used to being ignored. So I did nothing for four days except for my usual routine. I flew back to Rockhampton. I went to work. I did touch footy. I did all my lifting. And um, four days later, my coach threatened to pick me up from work and take me to the hospital if I didn't go myself. <laughs> so I went four in the morning because I was a breakfast news host um, and apologized profusely to every hospital staff. I'm probably just wasting your time. I don't even need to be here. Like I'm totally fine. And they found that I had a burst ovarian cyst that they believed was either that or an ectopic pregnancy. And I was still internally bleeding that four days later. Um, so that was really scary because they, yeah, I, my phone had died because I was not expecting to be in hospital. <laughs> and so I couldn't get hold of anyone. I had to sign this waiver that was like, oh, if we have to take an ovary, we can or whatnot. And I, so I signed it and and kind of just sat there in silence for the rest of the day, waiting for them to be able to let me know what was going on fully and take me into surgery. So as I said, I went there at four in the morning. I finally went into surgery about 10 o'clock at night. Um, and again, they did the lap. They also checked for endo at the same time. Um, Cause I said, I, I, I thought that I had that, even though I'd not been diagnosed yet, came out of that. I'd had 600 mils of blood removed from my abdomen and apparently still no endo. Um, and that was, yeah, April 2018. My health just went downhill from there. I was taking min minimum 200 milligrams of tramadol a day. I was bedridden for months. I changed my car from a manual to an auto because I just couldn't drive my manual car anymore. I was looking for my first home and like I have stairs, but I was so scared to buy a house with stairs because there were days where I was crawling around the house in pain. So they finally accepted me in for another lap that year. And it just blew my mind that only a few months after they were like, oh, actually you do have endometriosis. Um, we also think that your uterus is quite large. So we think you have adenomyosis. Um, I'd obviously been told about the PCOS a, a few years earlier, but that had never been um, fully looked into hormonally until I had this integrative GP. Um, and then they also gave me, when I went under, a um, cortisol steroid injection, cortisone, sorry, steroid injection into my pudendal nerve. And they diagnosed me with pudendal neuralgia around the same time. So I, yeah, I walked into there thinking that, I was just going crazy because I'd been in pain for 14 years and walked out with three diagnoses. And I was like, oh my God. Um, but it's been really great because now that I actually have the answers, I can move forward and with confidence tell people that this is what's wrong with me rather than like, oh, I think it's this, but everyone keeps telling me it's not. Um, but I think the real kicker of 
that entire rant. Apologies. I just realized that's gone on for a <laughs> no, really long time. No, nah, you've got to just get it out, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, the real kicker was I have now gone to a new specialist and I showed him photos from that original laparoscopy when I was 17 years old. And he took one look at them and was like, I can see endo on those. And I was like, are you kidding me? I could have known about this years ago. Mm. Um um, so that was, yes, very frustrating, but again, not much you can do about it by then, but it was a, also just a little bit, just felt validating. Cause I was like, ah, oh, good. Like it was there. I wasn't nuts. <laughs> it I existed. Think, yeah, exactly. And that's something that like so many of us relate to that, like validation of like it not being in your head and there actually being something wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, when you go on for that long, you get to a point where you look around and you're like, maybe everyone is feeling the way I'm feeling. Maybe I'm just a giant baby. And it wasn't until that ovarian cyst burst that I really realised that I had a high pain threshold <laughs> and that I wasn't a big baby. Um, but, like, even to girls out there now, even if you are thinking that, you're not. No one is. Like every level of pain is a valid level of pain. Um, And I think it's really damaging that we get made to suck it up or believe that everyone's going through it because they're not. Mm. And I think being in situations such as you were, like you did live at a boarding school when you were going to boarding school. So you were at a boarding house and then being in the military as well, you're with other people who are getting periods every month and you're like, well, they're managing fine, so why aren't I? And you're comparing yourself to others and then you do start to think, well, maybe I am just weak. They're all sucking it up and dealing with it, so what's wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. Or you have conversations with them and they're like, oh, my period only goes for three days. I'm like, oh, that's so nice for you. I'm so jealous. I only <laughs> stop. I, ble- I only stop bleeding for three days. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I completely agree and know how that feels. And I think a lot of people listening will completely relate to that. And I love that you also said that you know for people who listen, who are listening, who might be questioning themselves or thinking that they're a big baby, that they're not, because it's so true. You're not a big baby. <laughs> No, yeah, definitely. Although I, I, I would like to be a big baby some days. Naps, naps would be nice. Definitely, <laughs> naps and food would be the best. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so it wasn't till that sort of episode that occurred, that ovarian cyst rupturing and that internal bleeding, that you did get taken seriously which is just, you know, dumbfounding and so frustrating that still nothing was found there other than that. Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Why do you think that there is still such a delay even now? So we're in 2022 and why people aren't having their symptoms listened to or having their pain taken seriously more earlier? I think there's still, as I was saying before, that stigma of talking about it. Um, Even now, I sometimes struggle to have the right conversations with my doctor. And I love that you on the podcast previously have talked about having someone who can come with you as an advocate, because when you are in the thick of it, you sometimes forget how to advocate for yourself because all you know is that you're in pain and you want the pain to stop, but you don't know how to articulate that across to your doctor in a way that's going to make sense. 
Um, I also loved in one of your previous podcasts, you had a lady on from Africa. I forget her name at the moment. Khadija. Yes, that's sorry. Yes. And <laughs> she was talking about the language barrier of being able to explain your pain, whether it's stabbing or pulling or pinching. And hell, even I struggle with that. And I'm like native English speaker. I It's so difficult to explain all the different types of symptoms that you have. Um, And it's also just lack of awareness from your own level as well. I literally was 27 years old, so only like last year, when I fully learned the proper terminology for your vulva and your labia and your vagina, like how we meant to tell a doctor what's hurting and how we're feeling if we don't know how to label these parts of our bodies. And we're just not taught that at school. Well, I hope they are now, but I still don't think it's really that mainstream. No. Yeah, I completely agree. And like similar for me, like it was only a couple of years ago that I learned that also because, yeah, we weren't taught that at school. Yeah. And like at school you were taught, oh, here, just have a tampon. You'll be fine. That hurts. I can't use those anymore. Like, and you're not really given other options and you're not. So I think we're still, as much as we say that it's um, no longer a taboo taboo topic, it most certainly is. And I think that's what's really getting in the way of people being able to advocate for themselves and get answers sooner. Um, And still seems to be a lack of understanding in the medical field as well. I went to a psychologist recently to talk to them about my issues and she'd never heard of endometriosis. And I was like, well, how are you meant to help me with my brain issues if you don't (laughs) even understand like the disease that I'm coming to you to talk about? Um, And I, I know it's getting a lot more mainstream media, but I think we've got a long way to go. Oh, for sure. And you're so right about when you go to a health professional and then you end up doing the educating when you're there trying to seek support and help, but then you end up going there and doing more work and then ending up exhausted because you've got to do all the advocating for yourself yet again and the educating. And so I completely agree. We have such a long way to go, but hopefully conversations like this will contribute towards change. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I know so because I can see it already happening that's true we're getting there slowly but surely (laughs) we're just like clawing our way yes (laughs) (laughs) now I know you've mentioned a few things such as like when you're considering purchasing a property does it should it have stairs because will I be able to get up the stairs or switching cars over because I've been there I drove a manual car for years before I had an endo before I knew I had endo and I'd always end up in the worst pain after driving it and then switch to auto. So I completely know that struggle. I would love to know if you could sort of just share what you feel is the most challenging part about living with endo, adeno and PCOS other than the things you've just mentioned. Um, I think for me, it's the stubbornness. I'm, as I was saying earlier, very, very stubborn. Um, and one of my key phrases for many years was, I'll make my body do it. I'll just do it. And my body's just going to have to deal with it and learning that that's not how it works. And if you force your body to deal with it, it's going to make you deal with your body. Um, I had years of competitive sports. And as I said, I did powerlifting. I did kickboxing. I've done pole dancing, team sports. I've done 
any kind of sport I can throw myself into and I will just train my bum off until I sleep for two weeks because my body is finally like enough woman, please stop. Please stop. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And like the same, like, yeah, it's just that stubbornness and learning to listen to my body has taken me well, yeah, I think only in the last 12 months have I really struck a balance with obviously knowing when to give a little bit of an extra push, but also knowing when I need to be a big baby and go have a nap and some food. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and I think it's such an important balance to find. And I love that analogy of like what you said just then about, you know, if you push your body so hard, then it's going to just push back on you and, you know, you'll end up in a pile on the floor. So not really letting yourself get to that point. Yeah, definitely. And that was, I think it was my mom and she obviously, my mom, love it to death, said it all the time when I was growing up, but obviously you don't listen to your mom when you're young. No, but- <laughs> they don't know anything when you're young. <laughs> right. I still, I'm still unsure. No, um, but <laughs> she, she said to me, she's like, why are we spending all of this money on your healthcare when you're not doing the basics to keep yourself healthy? And obviously that's not always the case. But at the time, this was when I was really pushing it. Like I would get my pudendal nerve blockers and go, sweet, the pain has been blocked. I'm going to go hard at the gym. Um, I even had the mentality of you can't cycle at the moment because that aggravates your pudendal nerve. So I went, cool. So if I go to every cycling class there is until it doesn't hurt anymore, I have conquered this and I'm better. And my doctor was like, no, that's not how it works. And yeah. I was like, oh, Okay. So as I said, it's taken a long time to go, okay, I can't force my body to do better. I just need to like accept what's going on and find other ways to go about it. And that was probably that period where I was really sick and in a lot of pain. And all I was physically allowed to do was walk, swim, yoga. And I was so frustrated because I felt lazy and disgusting in my own self. But now, two years later, I'm stronger than I've ever been before because I've allowed my body that time to adapt and grow. Yeah, like working with your body, not against it. Yeah, it's your friend most days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't let you eat bread and you're sad. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Other than... (laughs) getting those treatments like those nerve blocks and things like that what are some other things that you've sort of implemented that have helped you manage in the last couple of years literally everything I can get my hands on um at the moment though I really rely on good sleep hygiene I make sure I am asleep by 8 30 every night because I get up at 4 30 every morning to go to the gym my phone is on do not disturb. If you have an emergency that late at night, find someone else. I'm sorry. It's just not going to be me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead. Please ignore me. Um, I have implemented melatonin at night as well, which has helped with that sleep um, because all my cortisol levels were round the wrong way and upside down. So that's been really good. I train every day, as I was saying, whether that's just walking the dog on the days where it's too hard to do anything else or when I've got more energy doing a high-intensity boxing class or whatever I'm capable of doing. Um, I obviously was saying see the um, the integrative GP. Uh, so she has me on a heap of supplements. So I take zinc, magnesium, um, Theracurm and triple, 
like fiber supplements because of all the other medication you're taking. Um, I take like adrenal supplements at night. So really supplementing my diet, which again, has such a bad stigma. Like I've worked in medical industries and they always talk about oh, supplements are such a money wasting, like anyway, we won't go into that, but <laughs> if they work for you and you are depleted in those things, definitely try using them to help you. Um, Cause yeah, they've really helped me. I have found like, obviously they haven't cured anything, but they've helped me be able to get on top and manage. Um, I used to do um, acupuncture, which I found really, really useful. Um, I don't anymore because, as you are aware, chronic illness is very expensive, so you kind of have to pick and choose your battles at the time. Definitely. Um, Yes. So at the (laughs) moment my battle is getting the hormones and everything back in place with the supplements. Um, But, yeah, I find my TENS machine is my best friend, my portable heat packs, are my best friends and I go to my pelvic floor physio once a month alternating with a masseuse on the other fortnight Uh, and then after each of those sessions I sit in an infrared sauna for 45 minutes and just dedicate that time to self-care even if it's an ouchy kind of (laughs) (laughs) self-care and like I know you said about the supplements and there's like the whole like you know they're a waste of money and whatever but like I think it does come back to working with a professional who can see where you're depleted and actually educated they're an like they can educate you on what you're actually needing so you're not just like walking up to the supplement aisle and woolies and being like oh women's health vitamin I'll take that and it's like well you know what if you don't need anything in that vitamin so yeah I think working with someone who knows what they're talking about and actually prescribing therapeutic doses in things that you're actually needing can be super beneficial definitely it's yeah it's been a game changer for me for sure um yeah what is something that your chronic conditions have given you? Like we've kind of been in a bit of like not negative, but we've gotten really <laughs> real and really open and really went gone there. But like what's something like positive and something that you're really proud of that your conditions have given you? Definitely. So probably three words come to mind is patience, compassion, and um the third one's gone already. It can't be that good. <laughs> brain fog. <laughs> yeah, brain fog, definitely. Um, patience, compassion. Yeah, it'll come back to me, I'm sure. Um, but just, oh, and strength. Um, so for me, I, as I said, have been really stubborn. I've always been a very go, go, go kind of person. Um, I see it really angry at other people if they weren't living up to my expectations. And I remember the exact moment I realized that that was not an okay way to live was when I was coming back from my doctor's appointment when I'd just been told I had the SIN3 cells. And to be fair, I definitely should have, should not have been driving. If you're ever in this situation, please just pull over. But I was young and silly and I was bawling my eyes out and I was driving home and I wasn't driving very well. I did cut someone off. But I remember them honking their horn at me and giving me the finger and giving me an absolute serve out the window and I was already falling apart. And I remember at that time it was finally that that whole like you never know what anyone else is going through really sunk into me. Um, I then also pulled over and waited till I had calmed down <laughs> to keep driving. 
which is definitely what you should do from the onset or get someone else to drive you if you're going to an appointment that has the potential to have quite triggering effects. Um, So that patience has been really important and that compassion for other people. And now rather than looking at people being, oh my God, they're so annoying. What is wrong with them? I very much look at people through the lens of what's happened, what's gone on here that's caused their behavior or their current situation um obviously there are things you can't fix and some people just are how they are but I think that's been really useful and the strength just to keep going because you until you join like the like a chronic illness community you also just don't understand how amazing you are um and like I'll talk to other women who are really struggling and I'll be like I just went for a 5k jog which to me is like okay, cool, whatever. And you talk to other women and they're like, oh my God, I can't even get out of bed for a walk today. Like you're inspiring me to know that one day I'm still going to be able to run again. And it just, it helps you feel strong and helps you to realize that every step is a good step and you're making progress no matter how small it may feel at the time. Yeah. Oh, I think those three words are so special. And like, it's so true having that patience for yourself and for others, being compassionate to yourself and to others. And then that strength, because you don't necessarily think of yourself as like strong, so to speak, until you actually take a moment to reflect back and look at all you've done and how much you've actually achieved. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's quite eye-opening sometimes. Hmm. I know you just touched on when you are in those endo communities and you're talking about, you know, I was able to go for a 5K jog and others might not be up to that at the moment because they might still really be struggling. Something that you are really passionate about is giving back to that endo community. How have you been able to involve yourself in the endo space and the adeno space and advocate for others and work to create change in the endo world? I love forcing myself into conversations. (laughs) I will hear something. um, Literally, like the other day at work, someone was talking about something and I overheard them talking about bad period pain and I just wandered on over and I was like, hi, yeah, what's going on? Are you okay? Do you need any help? This is like, I'm dealing with this, that, and the next thing. If you ever need anything, like reach out. So I love that for, I'm a very bubbly person and I don't mind talking to strangers. So I find that really helpful. Um, I have been part of a few different endometriosis organizations. I've done mentoring with other young women. Um, and in those spaces, it's actually been really interesting because you'll do like a group chat and you'll end up talking to someone else's mentee, um, and connect. And then your network just grows and you end up mentoring all these different people, which is really exciting. Um, and obviously social media, like social media is so such a great platform for getting messages like this out there. Um, but for me, it's just about having that conversation mainly. My two cousins, they're insane. She's born in the year 2000, so she's 22 <laughs> this year. Drives It blows my mind. Um, 22, and I think the youngest one is 19. No one in our family has ever talked to them about these things. Um, and women in my like my mother has dealt with this since she was a, a teenager. My grandmother dealt with it quietly, my great aunts, and they're just too proud. They don't talk about it. So 
Yes. I've had people tell me that I overshare and I put too much on my social media, but I just tell them they're not my audience then um, because there are women out there that also will then reach out to me and go, oh my God, thank you so much for sharing this. I needed to hear that today or I didn't know someone else was dealing with that. Um, So that's been really exciting. I Mm. have um, also... Sorry, my brain is That's okay. Oh, and then obviously I have recently signed up to do a charity trek. So I am raising funds for um, Endo Trek 2022. So I have a benchmark of funds that I have to raise to go on the trek. It's a three-day hike in Western Australia, which I think is glorious. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Um, But all of the money raised will go directly to Endometriosis Australia, funding uh, research into endometriosis, which actually is a great segue into I will literally do any research thing that pops up on my feed (laughs) ever. I just finished one today that was like a tech research um program which has been fantastic um so yeah just anything I can get my hands on and then my little baby that I concocted in December is a great talking piece as well I got a tattoo on the back of my arm which is a beautiful line piece of a woman with her uterus and her um ovaries and her and she's holding them and I've had people start great conversations. I've also had people telling me it's too confronting. Um, But that's what I'm here for is to have those apparently confronting conversations. Have those conversations. And I love how you mentioned like just with your social media as well, like your content might not be for everyone, but you are helping those people because you let them know that they're not alone and that's the reality of living with a chronic illness it might be confronting and it might be hard but that's literally what we're living with so you know keep on doing that and I love that your tattoo is that conversation piece because it does lend to creating change and I am so on board with doing any research possible because that's how we create change that's how we can contribute to getting that cure getting more support and more services for people with endo because it's all well and good to like have the research studies out there but we also need the community to come to the table and participate in the research so we can have those services available. 100% and the one word that pops out so much is community and I think that's what you and what I are really striving to create. Like even with this endo trek, I'm trying to organize picnics and um, other little events where I can bring people together and yes, obviously fundraise for the, like for the trek, but to come out of it with a sense of community and have those people be able to move forward. And one, not only know that they've supported myself to support the endometriosis research but that they have also found people that they can move forward as a community with and have that support that they maybe didn't have before exactly and on that track like you said just before like you know you've got to hit that benchmark goal and people could so easily say well why don't you just fundraise for it why do you need to do the track you know what's the point but it's like it has a bigger purpose. So I'd love to know like 
what is your reasoning behind like getting involved and signing up for the trek? Because isn't I think from what you've told me, it's like 10Ks a day, if not more, of trekking and like, you know, that can be quite a lot. So I would love to know like your reasoning behind wanting to do it and what you're hoping to achieve from being part of this. So I think that stems back to what I was saying before about really showing other women that are going through these issues that you can do anything you set your mind to with patience and time and the correct management in place, obviously. Don't just jump out of bed after your lap. <laughs> I'm going to do a trek. Yeah. Um, give yourself space first. Um, but, yeah, I want to be able to go out there and do that and spread the messaging all the way up to and during the event and, yeah, just help people to understand more about chronic illness and for those women living with it to be able to look at that and go, awesome, I have this diagnosis, but it doesn't mean that I am always going to feel this way. And there is hope that if I find the right team or not even if, when I find the right team, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want to. Yeah, exactly. And all of the links and info to donate will be in the show notes. So you can check out and support because, um, like you said, it does cost um, that benchmark for fundraising. So I think it's 2,500 you needed to reach before you can actually do the trek. So if you have any funds spare listeners, please, please, please donate because you're helping to contribute to research and that research will ultimately help to lead to a cure. Thank you. Yes, I wasn't too sure to get in the nitty gritty of it. So thank you. I'm like, I've got to get in there. (laughs) Thank you for covering that. And yeah, definitely. Um, I really appreciate that. Yeah. What would you like to see change within the pelvic health space? Really just more awareness. Um, For example, my pelvic physio has pretty much become my best friend. The other day I told her, you'll be so excited. I I was thinking about you. She's like, what were you doing? I was like, I managed to poo without needing help. And she was like, great. I'm so glad that that's when you're thinking about me. (laughs) Um, But like before I saw her, I didn't know that a pelvic physio existed. And I've been seeing her for two years now and she has been a godsend. Um, So I think that awareness of different strategies and different support um, people that are out there is really, really important. And by having that awareness, I don't just mean for women either. I mean, for men, for goodness sake, I dated a boy when I was, when I was 19 who thought that when women got their period, they vomit and that's it. Like, no, what are we So we need to be having these discussions. We need to be putting out this awareness, not just to us, but also to men so that they can support us moving forward as well. I've had multiple relationships end because the guys have been overwhelmed because they think that it's this big issue. And I think my last relationship ended, he said, I just can't deal with you and your problems for the rest of my life. And he'd, seen me when I was at my best I was like oh honey you haven't even seen half of it but still (laughs) if maybe he had been brought up to have that awareness and understanding it wouldn't have seemed like this big scary thing looming over him 
Mm, yeah. And I think the education system has a lot to answer for there and a lot of slack to pick up. So hopefully that yeah. can change. Most definitely. Stop putting us in different rooms. Or if you do, it's more for just a support session rather than the whole uh, sex ed component. Yeah. Yeah. Like a group education session and then break off the support if you want to ask those questions privately but doing the education together because you know like you said partners even friends and family will be impacted by this and them being aware makes the burden way less on you 100 percent. well the the young man who thought that periods were a vomit he had a sister and still lived at home with his mum I was like how okay yeah. <laughs> how so yeah yeah, exactly that's it is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners today no not really just thank you so much for listening and I would really appreciate your support moving forward so that we can get this research over the line and we don't have multiple other women waiting 14 years to get a diagnosis yeah that is just far too long honestly not good enough at all nope Thank you so, so, so much for coming on Let's Talk Period today, lovely. It has just been absolutely lovely having you on the pod and chatting with you today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I listen all the time, so it'll be (laughs) weird if I listen to myself eventually. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Araha. If you want even more from her, you can follow her on Instagram at ladyb underscore 16. And you can find out all of the details and donate to her upcoming trek in the link in the show notes. If you want to keep updated with all things Let's Talk Period, you can follow us on Instagram or we're also on TikTok at Let's Talk Period AU for both. I would also love to see you share that you're listening to your Instagram stories or just even share with a friend or family member that you're listening. Uh, Just helps to grow the Let's Talk Period audience and it makes all the difference as an independent podcast. Don't forget that we've also got our Let's Talk Period community over on Facebook and it is the place for people with endo, adeno or PCOS to get support and just chat with others who get it. You can join via the link in the show notes or just search Let's Talk Period community. Make sure that if you haven't already to tap follow on Spotify or Apple so you can get notified of any latest podcast episodes as well as leave a rating and a review on Apple or rate the pod on Spotify. That just really helps to find new listeners. Other than that, I will be back in your ears for one last Endo Awareness Month solo episode, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes, and the information, recommendations, and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.